Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So Luke chapter 15, so you can have your uh, hard copy of God's Word, your digital copy of God's Word, or we'll have the um, Scripture on the screen. And so we are finishing up um, this series called All Things New. We began it, so this is week five, and uh, so we're finishing up. And actually, this Sunday, today, is the second part of a two-part message. So last week, I did uh, the message uh, entitled Prodigal God, Part 1. And guess what? Wait for it, wait for it. This is Prodigal God, Part 2. All right? Uh, There's no better title that I can come up with that, but Prodigal God Part 2. And, um, but just to kind of recap what we've been been through over the last few weeks, uh, I talked specifically in week one about a new thing. God wants to do a new thing in your life. God's doing a new thing, not only in our church, but in many churches around the area. He's planting new churches, even in our community. Uh, We have given things to new churches. We've supported, we've had uh, church planters on this stage. We prayed for them in the last uh, few months. We, uh, we've got some things we're giving uh, that, are, that are just right here on this building that we're going to give to another church plant that's planting somewhere in Barter County. And so God is doing a new thing, and we want to be a part of that. And he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love to see and to watch what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. And if you watch, the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is speaking. And when God does a new thing, there's going to be change in our life. There's going to be change. You could be uh, getting married. You could be getting ready to have a baby, okay? You could be getting ready for a job change. You could be relocating. There's lots of things that can happen in, in a change, but in a change, there's also some transitions. And I talked about that first week, how there's transitions of letting go. There's a neutral zone where it's kind of like what's really happening, and then there's the, um, the new beginning that uh, takes place. And so uh, you can go listen to that message on our website. Week two, we talked about new mercy. God's new mercies. They're new every morning. I want to encourage you, start the day receiving those mercies, okay? This is important. Start your day receiving those mercies. God, I receive that mercy. First of all, you need to confess any unconfessed sin, but then just say, Lord, I receive that mercies. They are there for you, Okay, new mercies. And then week three, we talked about healing through the hurt. Of all the messages I preach in this series, I think this is one that, that really got, um, got a lot of great positive response. And so when, whenever there's hurt in our life, there's healing there. God wants to do a new thing. He wants to make things new in your life by providing healing through the hurt. And there's a process involved in that. We've got to reveal the hurt. If you don't reveal your hurt, God... I mean, God knows it's there, but you've got to reveal it so we can work through it. You also got to release those who have hurt you. Hmm, that's a difficult one. Release those who've hurt you. You also have to replace your old memories with God's truth. This word right here has plenty of truth in it that it can replace your old memories. Okay, now, it doesn't mean that you'll, those memories will, will forever go away, but it's like it's a covering for those. And it helps you when you go to those memories, it helps you to see God's word and how God sees you and how God is using things in your life, even though they're bad, even though there are things that maybe you have done intentionally or things that have been done to you, God can use that. 
and create newness in your life. And then last, um, refocus on the future. Take your rearview mirror down and stop looking at the past and head towards the future of the new work God wants to do in your life. And then last week was part one of Prodigal God. I shared about, basically it's about the story of the, of the, of the prodigal son. And, um, and God can make new things in your life. As, as a story we saw last week with the prodigal son, and as this son went away, God was able to, in, the father in the story, which represents God, there can be newness of life even when you do run away. But prodigal, if you look at the word prodigal, I always thought that prodigal was like, you know, the bad son or like you do bad things or, or whatever. So prodigal actually is defined as recklessly extravagant having spent everything. Recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. If you think about, if you think about God and what he has done for us, and he didn't even have to, what he's done for us, you can say that he has spent everything by giving his only son. He's given us the earth. He's given us his creation to enjoy. He's given us one another. He's provided things in our life for us to enjoy. And so he is an extravagant God giving us so much. And he is someone who has spent everything. So many bi- biblical scholars actually don't think the, uh, the title of this, of this story should be the prodigal son, it should be called the lost son. Because that's basically, that's basically what happened. He's a lost son. Now, he knew where he was. He knew where to find home. But he was lost away from home, from his father. And I would even venture to say that this parable should actually be called the parable of the two lost sons. The two sons were very different, and they both represent two ways in which people try to find happiness and fulfillment. The two methods we will, we will see, and we saw last week, is self-discovery and moral conformity, conforming to certain morals, okay? Self-discovery and moral conformity. The message in Jesus' parable is that both of these approaches are wrong, And our focus last week was on the younger brother, the one who used self-discovery to find fulfillment. Like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever I want to do in order to find happiness and fulfillment. Self-discovery. You may have kids in in, in in your life. For those who are parents... Okay, for those who are sitting here, you may, maybe you were that kid, right? You're going to be like, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going to find out. I'm just going to kind of bounce around a little bit. We have some, we have some children like that. We also have some children like, we're, we're going to do this. This is, this is what we're supposed to do. And we have kids who are like, man, let's just see what this is about, right? And that's how God has created us. And so some people use self-discovery, some people use more conformity in order to find that fulfillment in life. In today's part two message, we will take a close look at the older brother and his use of moral conformity to find happiness and fulfillment. And this right here, this message, I'm going to say pretty close to my notes here today because I, there's, there's some things packed in here that I think 
you are going to use. And it, it has been an eye-opener to me as I have prepared this message. And so I'm letting you know, I'm, this isn't just preaching to you. I'm being preached to as well. And I'm actually going to, as I often do, I'm going to go back and watch this sermon and uh, so it can help me to grow as well. We will, uh, we will also see the father's longing to make things new in this son's life, the oldest brother. We move to the main character of the story today, the older brother. Now, if you're like me, you may have considered that the, the story was really about the younger brother. In fact, if this, if this parable were a movie, the younger brother would be the main character because he has the most lines. I mean, the, 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 the camera is on him most of the time. But in actuality, the younger brother is not the main character in the story. Why do I think the older brother is a main character? You look at whom Jesus was talking to. You look at whom Jesus was talking to. And as you read God's word, it's really important that you look at, when you're looking at either some verses or you're looking at a story or a scene in the Bible, you've got to see, okay, what's around this scene? You've got to put it in context. That's so important. And so when you, when you think about and you read the, the parable of the lost son or the lost sons, then you've got to understand, okay, Jesus is talking to somebody. Who is he talking to? And as we look to see who he's talking to, we can understand really who the man character is. So in, in Luke 15, 1 through 2, I shared these verses last week. 1 through 2, we see who he's talking to. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you have two groups of people. You have the sinners and tax collectors were thrown in there. We talked about that last week. And then you have the teachers of the law. They just, they know how to, everything works. We, we, we know, we follow the law because we have to. And not only the law, but all these other man-made things that they've created over hundreds of years with this group, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all of the, the, the teachers of the law. So we have these two groups of people. And, and if you look at who he's talking to, in that last verse, verse 2, we have the teacher say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay? We don't have anything that the sinners and tax collectors said. So there's an audience of people, and these Pharisees are like, look, he's, he's hanging around sinners, and he's e even eating with them and, 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 and spending time with them. So Jesus responded with three stories. He didn't respond. He didn't respond to the sinners and tax collectors. He responded with three parables. Okay? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or sons. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. In all three parables, Jesus is telling the sinners the lengths of where God will go to rescue and restore while also telling the religious teachers how they should have searched, rescued, and restored the lost. The teachers, um, the targets of the story are not wayward sinners. 
but religious people who do everything the Bible requires. Jesus is pleading not so much with the immoral outsiders, you know, the the sinners, but he's also really focusing on the moral insiders. He wants to show them their blindness, narrowness, and self-righteousness and how these things are, are destroying both their own souls and the lives of the people around them. So when Jesus is telling this story, he's responding to what the teachers just said in that group of people. He's responding. And so the second part of this parable, which we read the first part last week, the second part starts in verse 25. So if we look at 15, Luke 15, starting at verse 25, we see this. Meanwhile, okay, so that's, that's a great segue word for part two, right? You know, you're growing up watching, watching TV shows, and then, you know, part two, you know, yet meanwhile, all right? I just think that's pretty cool, all right? Uh, the older son was in the field. So the, the younger son has come home. They put a ring on his finger, new robe, his father's robe, new sandals. Probably gave him a bath, you know, and say, hey, let's party. We're going to kill the fatted calf. I mean, everything, they're, they're throwing a party. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So put in your mind the teachers of the law who just said, this man eats and hangs out with sinners. Okay? So this is what we're doing. So he called, uh, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry immediately, okay? Became angry and refused to go in. I refuse. Just like the the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, I refuse to hang out with sinners. They refuse to go in. So in his, um, so his father went out and pleaded with him, the older brother, pleaded with him, begged him. But he answered his father, look, <laughs> okay, that right there already shows he's not respecting his father. Look, man, if one of my kids said that, look, <laughs> I'd be like, all right, are we going there? Because we can go there. Look, all these years, okay, here it comes, right? All these years, I've been obeying your orders. Oh, this is getting good. I've been obeying your orders. Yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He's throwing a tantrum. But when his son of, when this son of yours, oh, he's not... He's no longer his brother, right? When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, and he doesn't know that for sure. He hasn't talked with the son. He's assuming now he's probably right. But when, when this son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. I mean, this is a clash moment. This is something that has been brewing for a long time. And it's, and it's coming to our head. Verse 31, my son, 
The father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I probably would not have responded that way. We, we, would, we would throw down. Yeah, yeah. And he goes on, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This father made all things new, made all things right with the younger brother. But he also wanted to make all things new and all things right with the older brother as he came out and pleaded with him to join with him. What did the older brother want most? If we think about it, we realize that he wanted the same thing as his brother. He was just as resentful of the father as was the younger son. He too wanted the father's goods rather than the father himself. Think about that. He too wanted the father's goods rather than the father himself. However, when the younger brother went, went far away, the elder brother stayed close and never disobeyed. The hearts of the two brothers were really the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out from under it. They each wanted to get into a position in which they could tell the father what to do. So, each one, in other words, rebelled. Each one of them rebelled. But one did so by being very bad, and the other one did so by being extremely good. Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father of their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him. So here... Here's where this leads. So this means that you and I, we can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently, religiously, just for our own selfish benefit. And it kind of leads into what, what is called the elder brother syndrome. With this parable, Jesus gives us as much deep concept of sin as we've seen. Most people think of sin as, as failing to keep God's rules of conduct. We would think that would be, right? Okay, you have the Ten Commandments. You break one of those, it's sin. Okay, we have this idea that most people think of sin as failing to keep God's rules of conduct. But Jesus' definition of sin goes beyond that. If, like the older brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper. Jesus may be your example. Jesus may be your inspiration, but he is not your savior. We should not expect Jesus to do things for us because we have been a good person. 
we have been a righteous person, a a self-righteous person, a religious person, going to church every week. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be vulnerable, as I always am. Sometimes I get too vulnerable. It gets me in trouble, but whatever. Um, But, I mean, this spoke to me because I got saved when I was six. I was born on Saturday in church on Sunday, and I've been in church all my life. Now, I've had some ups and downs like everyone, but there are things that I've done in the past that it's because I'm supposed to. It's the religious sort of thing to do, and I'm going to do them, you know, to please the Lord, but sometimes I take that a little too far. Lord, because I have done this, could you do this? Because I haven't really strayed from you, I've stayed home and I, I've obeyed you, we planted a church, you know, then maybe you could do this. And that, that's not a right way to look at that. I planted a church because God told me to. And I obeyed, yes, and it's been hard. It's continued to be hard. Has this, has uh, continued to have its issues as as every church has. But I want to make sure that I'm not anticipating or expecting God to do same things for me just because I'm a pastor or planted a church or I'm doing the good things. It's a heart check. It is. I do it. I got to make sure that I'm doing things because God told me to, and I want to obey him and only him. Nearly everyone defines, defines sin as breaking a list of rules. Jesus shows us that a man who has violated virtually nothing on the list of moral misbehaviors can be every bit as spiritually lost as the immoral person. Just because, just because you attend church doesn't mean <laughs> that you're not lost. I mean, the older brother stayed close to home. He did the right things. But he was just as lost as his younger brother. And I think there's a lot of people who attend church who are still lost. Lost their way a little bit. Now, obviously not everyone. Most of the churches are filled with people who who follow after Jesus. And I'm not talking about perfect people, okay? I'm not talking about people who who they realize their mistakes and and they confess their sin and they want to draw closer to Christ and walk with him. But then they they fall fall back and then they confess their sins and they keep going. And and it's it's a process. It's a growth process. I'm talking about the people that you go to church, this is what you do, and you, you live by certain rules, you believe in certain things because my grandfather taught me this or my mother or my whatever. This is just how it's supposed to be. And I just want to make sure that we don't have that elder brother syndrome 
So why could people be still spiritually lost even though they have violated virtually nothing on the list of of moral misbehaviors? Because sin is not just, it's not just about breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God. It's putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge. So there are two ways to be your your own Savior and Lord. One is by breaking all the moral laws and setting your own course. Okay, breaking the law, setting your own course. That was a younger brother. That's what he did. The other way is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good. So how can you tell if you have an elder brother syndrome? Boy, that might be a question you could be asking. It's a question I asked. How can you tell if you are showing or living like an elder brother, if you have the elder brother syndrome? There's three things I want to point out. Number one, resentment. Resentment. When your life doesn't go as you want, you aren't just sorrowful, but deeply angry and bitter. Elder brothers believe that if they live a good life, they should get a good life. Okay? Elder brothers believe if they live a good life, they should get a good life. That's not how it works. It's not. And so, if you find yourself deeply angry and bitter, as we saw with the elder brother, as soon as, it, as, soon as the servant told him what was going on, as a father came out, and the way he talked to his dad, he's bitter, he's angry. If we find ourselves angry and bitter about things that happen in this life, we could be showing forth an elder brother syndrome. And trust me, there are things in my life that's happened, even the past few months, that it's like, wow. And if I'm living angry, living with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, then I'm an elder brother. This definitely spoke to me this week. Another thing we see so resentment is, is one character, one way that you could feel like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm living the elder brother syndrome. Now, the other is fear-based compliance. Fear-based compliance. The older brother boasts of his obedience to his father. He says that. I've, I've obeyed you. But lets his underlying motivation and attitude slip out when he says, all these years I've been slaving for you. All these years, I've been slaving for you. You don't think that, and I had to ask myself this question. All these years, we're about to to celebrate nine years at Lake Point Church. And of course, I've been in ministry for a long time before then. But all of these years, slaving for you, God, and, 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 and these things are happening? Mmm, it's so easy to go there. I'm just being upfront. I'm being frank with you. So, so as, as you walk in this life, 
And if you say, God, I've, I've, I've been faithful to give to you. I've been faithful to serve you. I've been faithful to go to church. I've, I've taken my kids. You know, and now I've got, I've got kids who are straying away from, uh, from, from the family. I've got kids that are, that are living a, a, an ungodly lifestyle. Why would you ever do that? Why would you do that when I've been so faithful? If you say that, you could be Elder brother syndrome. Could be. God, I've been so faithful to you. I've given, I've given 10% of my tithes. I've been so faithful. And now here I find myself with no job. I'm, I'm, I could be losing my house. Why would you do this? Elder brother syndrome. Did you wear your steel toe boots today? I needed to wear mine this week. Yeah. I need to wear mine this week. Oh. Fear based compliance. So why, why do we bring our kids to church? Why do we go to church? Why do we give? Is it because we have this fear based compliance? We're just like, you know, I just want to, I just want to get into heaven. <laughs> I just, I don't want to wake up, you know, and, and in hell somewhere, right? And that's a good thing. You don't. So we have resentment. We have fear-based compliance. We have doubt. And then the third thing is doubting the father's love. Doubting the father's love. The older brother said, you never threw me a party. As long as you are trying to earn your salvation... By controlling God through goodness, the good things you're doing, you will never be sure you have been good enough for him. You simply aren't sure God loves and delights in you. You sh- you're just not sure if God delights in you. If you find yourself doubting God's love, you could be experiencing some elder brother syndrome. Now I'm talking about I'm talking about people who have have who know the Father and people who have given their life to the Lord and you find yourself of like doubting God's love for you. Um, I want I want you to make sure of this. God loves you, and it's not because you stuck around. Do you know that God loves you just as much as, as he loves the, the most awful person that you can think of, or maybe the most awful person in history? He loves you just as much, or he loves them just as much as he loves you. And it's not because you stuck around, okay? It's not because, it's not because you, you give Oh, man, he, he gives or she serves or, man, they're, they're always there. Oh, man, gosh, I really, really love them. I mean, he loves, he loves the nastiest, sinful people in the world just as much. We don't understand that. We don't understand that. And so, resentment, fear-based compliance, doubting the Father's love, 
Those could be some, some, some th- it's definitely things we see in this story. So what are some dangers of elder brothers? The younger brother knew he was alienated from the father. Listen to this. But the elder brother did not. That's why elder brother lostness is so dangerous. Elder brothers don't go to God and beg for healing from their condition. They see nothing wrong with their condition. And that can be fatal. They don't see anything wrong. That's a danger of being an elder brother. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He, remember who he's talking to. That's important. And it brings up the main character. They are the elder brothers. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And so because they, they didn't stray away, because they've been faithful, because they've been good, because they followed all the teachers of the law, because they've done those things They don't know that they are just as lost as the younger brother, as those sinners and tax collectors that are right here in the same audience. They don't realize that. So that's the dangers of the elder's brothers. When we see the attitude of the elder brother in the story, we begin to realize one of the reasons the younger brother wanted to leave in the first place. I don't think the younger brother and elder brother had a great relationship. You know why? The older brother didn't go look for the younger brother. Never once we we see that in the story. The older brother didn't even go look for him. I mean, the younger brother went incognito. I mean, he, he went off the grid. But he could have been found. But they didn't have a great relationship. There are many people today who have abandoned any kind of religious faith because they see clearly that the major religions are simply full of elder brothers. There are people today, and there could be people here today, maybe you used to be like that, or watching online. You know, I used to attend church, but the elder brothers, the older brothers, they chased me away because I didn't fit in. I wasn't following the rules like they were following. I wasn't dressed a certain way or didn't believe the same political ways as them or whatever. And so I left. As your pastor, I do not want our church to have older brothers that chase younger brothers away. And if you're a younger brother, and if you, you are someone who just, you like to try to find life and just go and just figure it out, and you may stray from home a little bit, but just know this, Lake Point Church wants to be your home. Lake Point Church wants to be your home. And I'm sorry if 
Maybe you had a church experience, and it even could have been at this church. I don't know. But you've had a church experience where the older brothers chased you away, the righteous brothers chased you away. I'm sorry for that. But as long as I'm pastor, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you feel at home. Because I'm an older brother. I mean, literally, I'm an older brother. (laughs) I do have a younger brother. But I want to do everything I can to make sure that if you get lost, that you go away, guess what? I'm packing my bags, and I'm coming to find you. And I'm bringing you back in by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just me. And I believe that the, the, the new elders that we have in place and other people in our church, other men and other women in our church, they're ready to go after those who have kind of strayed away for a little bit. Hey, let's, let's get you back in here. We love you. There's, we don't throw any stones. Let's do this together. We're all messed up. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the, the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, our churches, the big, you know, for the most part, today, do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to the modern-day church. The modern-day church, we tend to draw conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people. The broken and the marginalized often avoid us. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of the ministers of churches and the practice of the people who attend do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be full of elder brothers more than we think they are. And as I read this, read this story, and I've read this story many times, but as I studied it the past few weeks, I think Jesus, I think Jesus is trying to tell people, look, there's another brother in the story. I'm, I'm the third brother. Jesus, I'm the third brother. I didn't leave away from home and disobeyed, you know, disobeyed my father and, and, and go live a life of sin. I didn't do that. I wasn't the younger brother. And also didn't stay close to home and, and just obeyed rules just because I had to. I have a very healthy relationship, a oneness, literal oneness, the Trinity, with God the Father. Jesus is saying, look, I'm the other brother. I'm the third brother that's not even in this story. And Jesus says, I'm the one that's going to go after the younger brothers who leave away from home. I'm the one who's going to help those people who feel like they're just living their life, just religious, religiously following the rules. I'm just going to do, I'm going to talk to them, and I'm going to help bring them back into the fold. 
So whether you are a younger brother who strayed away or an older brother who you've been in church most of your life and you have, you have said, all right, I'm going to follow these rules. I'm going to do certain things in order to get certain approval by God and get that stamp of approval on this. And we, we've got to do certain things. We've got, to, we've got to live religiously. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with God the Father. And the way to God is a way through the third brother. The brother who has an incredible relationship with God. And that is Jesus. So if you're here today, know this. That Jesus, Jesus wants to be that bridge. Jesus wants to be the one that can help you. That can help you as a younger brother and an older brother syndrome. So here's what I want us to do. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, to make some decisions. Okay? But we've got some decisions to make. All right? So every head bowed, every eye closed, as a band comes up, I'm going to ask them to come up and, and do one more song as we have a time of prayer. But I want you to, um, I want you to understand, just check your heart and understand this. There are two brothers in the story, and most people in this world live by either one of those. And so if you're here today and you are, if you're watching online and you're the younger brother who's straight away and it's time for you to come back home, you can simply say a prayer that says, God the Father, please forgive me my sin. Please come into my life. Jesus, I believe in you. I need you to be my Savior. I confess my sin to you. I'm ready to come back home. I'm ready to come back home. If that is you, you can, you can say a prayer like that. And if you're an elder brother syndrome, someone who's been at church most of your life, and, and you find yourself maybe showing some of those signs of the older brother, maybe you've even treated people a certain way because of your self-righteousness. I've, done, I've been there. I've done that then there needs to be some confession on that.